Welcome to the Conscious Christian Conversations podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Kyleen. We are two spunky Christians with diverse backgrounds and life experiences who want to encourage each other and you listening to challenge your subconscious beliefs. Each episode, the two of us will be having a conversation around a specific topic that we may or may not have different perspectives on. If you haven't already, please listen to episode one to learn what we are all about. Without further ado, here is today's episode. Today's episode is on science versus religion, and it was a conversation that kind of spontaneously arose in the middle of a different conversation, but it was really interesting and we both enjoyed it. So we thought that we would pull it out of the middle of our other conversation and share it with you guys today. So we hope you enjoy. People keep trying to prove the existence of God or disprove, like you can disprove God with anything. Like you can take anything here and try to disprove him. And people who want to not believe are going to be like, oh yeah, I mean, clearly there's no God. Like that's just stupid, but we'll never be able to prove God. Like, I think that he set the world up in a way that there is just like Jesus, right? He didn't really ever come out and say, I, well, I guess he did kind of in a roundabout way. But he never really fully was like, I am God, worship me. He was just like, you know, I am the I am, I am who I am. Like he would say these cryptic things, but gave everybody enough information and like did all these miracles so that they could believe. And so like, if that's the way, that's the way that he operates, right? So he's never going to fully put something on this earth that is concrete, 100%, like very clearly, there is no argument against a God. But if you look around, like he has given us so much, like just being out in nature and like the way that we, our bodies work and are staying in health, the, the, how research is showing, you know, if you go out and you do the quote unquote forest bathing, right. Or, or earthing where you're walking barefoot, they actually show how those elect, those negative ions and the uh, uh, electrons that are being essentially bathed on your body are actually very positively correlated with increased health outcomes. So like, how can something just randomly spontaneously occur that he wants us to be out in nature, which is where like, he's there. He's not in the houses that we're building. He's out in nature that he created for us. And so like our whole being, all of our health, like everything is created to be with him. Well, you think yeah. about that? Like we are created out of nature. So I think that may be part of why we like, we connect so strongly to it in terms of, I mean, there's science to it, but then I think the, the mystical creation energy magic part of it, that is how God created us is that initially he created us from dirt. And so I think that, um, you know, literally you know, from the dirt we came in and from the dust we came into the dust we shall return, right? And so I do think intrinsically in the way we are created and designed, it's like we are supposed to be in connection with that. And, and, and that's probably why I think to some extent it would work like that, right? Like, I think that's like the coolest thing. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think he's very evident in nature when you say like, you know, can you prove something? I don't know. But I think I, as far as much as is possible, I think science and creation proves the existence of God. Yeah, I for sure. All points towards, um, you know, <laughs> I think people are like, oh, well, do you believe in, in science? It's like, yeah, I think science absolutely points to a designer, a creator. Absolutely. And it's just like you were saying in 
you look at the world and how it's created and it's like the ecosystem itself when people stress out about you know things being imbalanced like how cool is that that it was designed the way it is in perfect harmony with a specific balance like that doesn't just happen right you you look at the intricacies of an eyeball and you happen to have two of them like (laughs) yeah it's amazing it's just you look at how your heart works and how like you're able to actually it doesn't make sense when you take that concept of a soul out of a human being and the spirit out of a human being you're like okay well I can manually pump a heart and that person's not going to be alive right it needs that spark that electricity to to continue what is that right literally well I like I'm not going to get into like medical stuff here because like I don't know if there is an explanation for it but it's like the spark of life right like yeah you can't just we don't our bodies don't exist on a physiological level without something else yeah yeah I, I I agree and then conversely if you look at somebody after death um and maybe a lot of people haven't I used to be a law enforcement officer right so I saw a lot of death Uh, And before that, I was a medical examiner uh, as well. So that was my business was to do autopsies and and help with with uh, death investigations and things. And so if you look, there is something fundamental, fundamentally different, like when you look at someone alive versus someone dead, or even if it's someone that you've known that you've seen in like an open casket, like it is so clear and I'm thinking of the the death of one of my friend um, friend's father, <clears throat> and it was an open casket. And that was the first time I'd ever seen someone that I knew in the state of death. And it was like, it was like looking at a rubber mannequin. I, I mean, to me, it was surreal to to look at this person that I knew very well, and it was like this empty shell. And I've never really understood what the empty shell meant, but it was like not him. It was his body but he was gone. Right. And it was just like, it was so weird to just see like this mannequin. And it was just, I felt this emotional detachment from it because it's like, well, that's not him. So I turned around and I left. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to see that part because that's not who he was. He wasn't his body, which is how I had always associated people. We associate them with their body. Right. But that's not, this is just clothing that we're wearing. The true us is what leaves. And that's like, like, that's the spirit. You can't have that kind of feeling without knowing like intuitively that there's something that is animating the body that went in death is gone. It's not there anymore. So then where does that go? It's not something that just stops because I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, like it, it obviously just leaves that body. The the clothing is empty. It's piled on the floor. Well, they actually documented that. So if you, I, I think it was a, um, I'm trying to remember what exactly it was that they were, I don't know if they were using to, to actually catch this basically, but you know how you can see light and frequency and all this kind of stuff and you can measure it mm-hmm. and that with death and they will see light leave the body. And interestingly uh, enough as well, there's a burst of light at the moment of conception. Yeah. You sent me that video and that was I've been thinking a lot about that video, which is a little off topic. So maybe that's something we save for another day. But um, like, that thing, right? Well, if you think God is light and we are made in the image of God and there's a light burst at the moment of conception and there's light and frequency that leaves your body at the moment of death that you can actually see. Like that does not yeah. blow your mind. Yeah. And you're t- like yeah. That, that makes so that answers it for me. <laughs> right. Like, it makes sense to me that like it's the soul spirit, um, aspect of who we are 
that then is in this bodily form that gives us the spark, the energy of the electricity, the light that like makes us living in the, in the physical form. But then that part goes away after the physical form dies. But that doesn't yeah. die. That is an eternal thing. Once it is created, it is eternal. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's to, you know, go kind of going back to, um, <clears throat> going back to something that we were just talking about. What were we talking about? Oh my gosh. My brain fog is still not hundred percent gone. <laughs> um, prior to this track, what were we talking about? Oh, proving God. So like, if you go back to, I find it very fascinating to read these stories of atheists, um, athe atheistic scientists who are actually bent on trying to disprove God. And they end up turning into Christians because in their attempts to disprove him through science, they actually, in their mind, prove his existence. And it's just, I've heard multiple, multiple stories. Uh, of course, conversely, I've, I've heard, unfortunately, the other way around too, where if you get pulled too far into the science, then suddenly the magic stops and you're looking for an explanation for everything. And if you can't explain it, then it, it's not real to you. You know what I mean? Like I've seen that pull as well because I find myself kind of getting into that trap and very science-based. So if you don't show me evidence of, you know, how something is working, then I'm not convinced that it's true. Well, you, so it's like this. Almost the opposite. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why you have to have faith. So you go back into the big picture and you're like, great, I can't understand it. You know, yeah. that, that like, I, you know, not that we don't try that. I think science is amazing. I think, you know, medicine is amazing. I think doing all this research is amazing. I do think it points to a creator. And then I think the fact that we still have no idea in so many levels of how the body yeah. functions. I mean, when I was studying cancer and um, I read this book, oh, what is it called? It's right over here. I can tell you in two seconds, the, mm -hmm. em the emperor of all maladies. You read that book and you read the history of cancer and they don't know anything about it. It's yeah. like the when they started studying it all the way up to today. And I mean, they, they have gained some really interesting learnings about it, but that still doesn't mean that they can control it or that they fully understand it. A lot of the treatments have even been accidental. The ones that work that I was super lucky because when I had Hodgkin's, the treatment that they had found, I think it was discovered in the eighties and, um, kind of accidentally and it's one of the only one that has like a 95 percent efficacy rate hmm. and just absolutely nuts and you're like you've been studying it this long and medicine is supposedly so advanced and technology is so advanced and the level of not understanding how the body works or how this is created or what contributes to it or what we can do is mind-blowing and so when you think about these things yeah i think science is amazing and it's, it's given us so much and also like we're, we're like one one million in the, our understanding of the body oh for sure <laughs> brain and how little we understand about the brain like what what the heck is an emotion you know what i mean like how do we store memories like i mean i mean and they understand so much more now okay well this part of the brain does this and this part of the brain does this and then and then still even with that there is so much that is essentially esoterical in nature and so above what science can explain and to me that it's like, okay, if, if science is the answer, then science could tell me. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and that's something that I struggle because I always, I, I grew up in kind of that science-based learning. I, I always 
wanted to be a doctor. So I was always fascinated. I was fascinated with the science and the research. And so, you know, if you're not careful, it's easy for, for research to become your God, right? Uh, and so that's a, that's a, a line that I've, I've balanced or tried to balance. And on sometimes I've kind of fallen away and started, you know, that's, that was my time period where <clears throat> through med school and, um, you know, even a little bit before that in undergrad, as I was, you know, studying the, the molecular functioning of the cells and all that kind of stuff. And I started to kind of be like, well, you know, the Bible is more kind of just this collection of stories. It's not very scientific. It's just a bunch of people talking about some things that don't really make any sense. So, you know, and, and my view of things really kind of became skewed to for a negative in a negative way. And I found myself leaning more away from God at that point and more into, you know, well, what, what can science tell us, which is essentially a man-made creation, right? Science is all man-made. We're doing our best to understand things. But you're right, like there, as I dig, you know, so I, I do, uh, I work with women with chronic migraine, right? And so my studies are very focused in on the neurotransmitters and how, you know, the, the cells function and, and all of that kind of stuff. And take it, the more that I dig into it and look at these complicated, amazingly convoluted feedback loops and how everything is interconnected, it's like, where does the problem start? Does it start with the hormone? Does it start like, where does it start? And if you look at just how, there's no way that that could spontaneously, like there's absolutely no way that that could have spontaneously happened. Like to me, the amazing intricateness that, that just saying those words is so under saying how complicated, and that's only what we know. Like we're still finding things in the body. We didn't know anything about the CGRP system until like 30 years ago. You know, that's like in the 1990s. On that same vein, so I work with women um, that are experiencing trauma and recovering from trauma. And the way emotions get stored in our body and the way trauma and, and trauma experiences. Now, there is a heavy physiological side to how that impacts the body. And then there is this side that we can't, like, you cannot explain with the physiological science part. And it is the more woo sort of literally emotions get stuck in the body, like in your organs and yeah. because they store um, or they uh, create symptoms later on that eventually for some people can turn into disease. And I'm so totally convinced of that at this point that when we have unprocessed trauma and emotions, that it is largely contributing to whatever ailment you are dealing with later in life and and recognizing that plays such a huge part whether you recognize it young and you do a lot of trauma work and processing and all this kind of stuff to kind of like keep yourself light of it so it doesn't weigh you down because I I'm so convinced at this point that trauma and emotions weigh a lot more than any physical symptoms or imbalances can and so when you and they're so totally connected that when you address the emotional part and I, I, I very much like the functional medicine side. I worked on that side for a long time. And so like, I like to do both, right? I like to support mm -hmm. the physiological side of the body while we're doing the emotional aspect of it. Um, but I think it's like, if you can really truly get to the emotional root, then that is that has such a dramatic effect on, on recovery. And so when you're thinking about this, just like you were saying, it's like, how do we explain that? Like, how do you explain the fact that if you process emotions, you physically feel better? Yeah. Or, or, the, or that processing trauma in some instances has been as dramatic as spontaneous remission of these intense 
diseases that were going to kill people. I mean, like right. that, that happened more than once. You know, yeah, and there. Well, it sounds that sounds magical. There, there's, there's um, a few different studies that <clears throat> have convinced me that you're correct. Um, one is there was a study that they did on cancer patients and one of the, the treatments that they did in combination with the standard medical care um, is they had group A um, do just the standard medical care and then they had group B doing visualization and working through some of the emotions and imagining like their immune system being this tough army and they had to do these, these visualizations every day, like several times a day throughout the treatment. And there was a statistical, statistically significant improvement in the, the group that did the visualizations and worked through some of the emotional pieces uh, compared with the people that just got the standard treatment. As far as the death rate and the, and the remission rate and all of that, everything was much higher in the group that was doing you know, this visualization. Like, okay, how does that work? And then also when we're looking at, you know, some of the, um, some of the, the, the fascial, um, so, so one of the theories is that the, that our emotions are stored in the fascia, right? The, the coating around the muscles. And so working on that can help to release some of that stored emotions like you're talking about. And so they actually, there were a couple of studies that did that. And a lot of these are just case studies. There's not been a big, you know, randomized controlled study. But, you know, of people that, and I would be one of them, like I was on the acupuncture table one day and <clears throat> my acupuncturist came at me um, on, in my chest, my pec area and pectorals that I'd never worked on before, but we thought that it was possibly pulling my back, which is where my main problem comes from. So she came at me with the needles and I literally wanted to grab her hand and punch her in the face. Like I had this overwhelming urge to be, to defend this area. And, you know, obviously I restrained, I didn't want to assault anybody. And she poked me with the needles. I shouldn't say poked. She applied the needles in a therapeutic manner. <laughs> and yeah. And, um, and I immediately started crying, like immediately started crying. And I felt so vulnerable and so upset. And I'm like, what is happening to me right now? And I'd never had a response like that before. And she's just like, you're storing a lot of emotions here right now. And so she works through it. And I spent the rest of the time crying on the table. And I'm like, this sucked. I never want to do it again. And so then, of course, the next time I went, she did the same work again. And it wasn't until that happened that I saw a dramatic difference in my mood, in my sleep, in my gut health, in my hormones, like all of it started changing. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. And you Oh, yeah. Acupuncture is total quackery. So well, that, none of that could have happened. I know. I know. I'm making it all up. It's just something that happened in my, I was sad that she poked me in the chest with her needles. <laughs> that's absolutely right. I mean, and that's, and that's, again, going back to the point of like, we can't, how do you explain that? Right? Well, the Chinese explanation is that it's moving energy through your body and you use the meridian. Science does not really align with that. Yeah at this point in time that we know of, right? So, right. but that you hear story after story after story of muscles or organs or um, whatever, storing these emotions and someone will mm -hmm. get a massage and release trauma because they're releasing it from the, the muscle or you get acupuncture in the right point of where you are storing or the right meridian that, uh, that applies to the right organ where you are storing that grief or that anger or that sadness or that event or that trauma and releasing it because you're tapping into that. 
And I mean, it's just, I guess you can, you know, you can believe it or not believe it, but there's so many experiences that, that, you know, you've had and, and I, I work with trauma and emotions now. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to me how this stuff works. Yeah. And, and again, like all of that, we can't, we don't have an explanation for it yet. We don't really know. Uh, mainstream science doesn't believe that it's a thing, <clears throat> but you know, you can kind of circle back around that just because we don't understand it and science doesn't explain it. Like that is the wrong, that's, that's a God thing. Like, but why did he design us so that we have those emotions stored in our bodies? Like, that's a question. Well, and then I would say, well, okay. I have, I have somewhat of an answer to that, but um, okay. So you said, right before that you said something that I was going to go on um shoot my brain is blooming to you right <laughs> um what did I say so my thought on that is uh so you know how like when you're a baby you watch a baby breathe and they breathe from their stomach it's very natural right and then as we grow and go through life we start breathing shallowly shallowly through our chest and it's really not the healthiest version of breathing right we're not getting the oxygen all the way in and all this kind of stuff so I right. think the reality of our nervous system is if you look at, um, if you look at other mammals in nature, they have a process that they go through to naturally process trauma and get it out of their nervous system and out of their body. And it's a step-by-step -step process that involves shaking and all this kind of stuff. And, um, we don't do that as humans. We like to stuff it down or, well, culturally, I would say we are taught to stuff it down or we are just not taught how to process it effectively right crying is uncomfortable don't cry don't cry as opposed to no let it out let it out right we're not taught about tapping our chest to support our vagus nerve we're not taught about shaking our bodies to help the shaking that we're feeling from the trauma to continue to release because that's a trauma response right so there i do think um it's not that god created our bodies to store it he created us to go through processes that are really quite amazing to release trauma and when that doesn't happen our body tries to protect us because I mean where does it have to go it's an energetic emotional type of thing so what happens if it doesn't go out of us it stays inside of us hmm. well and that could explain why there are you know if you think about way back or maybe even there are still tribes that do it but a lot of like the ritualistic kind of shaman kind of ceremonies where you know, the person that's being cared for, they do go through, we would look at it and think of them as, you know, being spastic or spasming or something, you know, just being weird and doing these weird dances. But, you know, I mean, that might very well be exactly oh, what girl. they're doing is. I'm totally at the point in my trauma journey that I, I have considered doing, you know, there's the ayahuasca, there's psychedelics, there are these guided trauma. I, and I, I, Here's my thought with like psychedelics and medicine and plant plant journeys and all this kind of stuff. I think they're completely valid when they're done right. And part of the reason I think that is true is because as spiritual beings in human bodies, this is, let me see if I, I can explain this in a way that makes sense. So as spiritual beings in human bodies, we get very grounded into the physical body and we get less aware of the spiritual realm that we come from and that is surrounding us on a daily basis. When I'll give you a personal example. So when I had um, chemo, um, basically that life force, you know, in your blood, uh, it, it, it gets less strong. Right. And, and uh, so this is, this is really hard to put into words, but essentially during treatments, what I felt like was happening is my life force was diminishing as my 
physical life force diminished, I felt more spiritual connection. Hmm. So I think sometimes when we are so grounded in the body, we become less aware of the spiritual and less sensitive to the spiritual because we're so overwhelmed by the physical. And so I believe one of the reasons that plant journeys and psychedelics and that stuff works is because they take down that veil for a period of time and you are much more aware and much more sensitive to the spiritual realm and the reality of who you are as a being. And you see, it's almost like it crosses that or it crosses that line or it pulls down that veil. And in that space, then if it's done appropriately, I think a lot of people do process emotions and traumas and have these deep revelations about what life is and who they are as a human being, maybe who got it or what their trauma, what their purpose in life is, right? And so I think a part of that, just based on my cancer journey, I think is that our physical bodies really ground us in a way sometimes it's not helpful to our spiritual journey. And it's difficult while we're in our body to overcome that. And I think a lot of these practices have to do with overcoming that. Yeah, which is probably why, you know, we're instructed to stay in the word every day. It's a way for us to, to ground ourselves spiritually, um, you know, every day, because <clears throat> while I was sick, every morning I have, I, I have coffee with God, right? And I spend anywhere from 30 to, to 60 minutes in the Bible, working through stuff, praying, you know, and that's how I start my day. And when I was sick over the last couple of weeks, I didn't do any of that because I just didn't have the band, like the mental capacity to understand the Bible because it's really like taxing to try to figure out stuff and think. And so anyway, and I found by the end of the 10 day period, I was like, I wasn't praying. I wasn't talking to God. I was more like in my body again. And I was like, this is weird. Um, even my normal, like I can't, I usually can't wait at the end of the day. I kind of wrap up in my shower and I, that's my, my shower prayer time before I go to bed. And I usually spent like a half an hour in the shower for that reason. Um, but you know, I wasn't even doing that. I was just thinking normal every day. Like I have to pay this bill and, oh, tomorrow the kids have, you know, whatever. And it was just like, I noticed that the last couple of days and I was like, that's really weird. And, um, so, yeah, I think what you're saying is like, we do have to make an effort to have that, um, that spiritual connection, because if we literally don't do it every single day and make a practice of it, then we do get too grounded in our bodies and then life takes over. And then suddenly we find ourselves without a relationship um, with, with God anymore. And, or I guess that's not entirely correct. You still have a relationship, but it's not a very strong one. It's like, you know, the cousin that you haven't talked to for 10 years. And, you know, then it's just like, you come back and you're like, I'm sorry, God. I, and, and he, and he, so I, I prayed forgiveness for drifting from him for the past couple of weeks. And, and he's just like, that's okay. I've just been waiting for you to come back. And I was like, Oh, that's so sad. Like he was just waiting. Like, that's literally what I heard in my art. And I was like, that's so sad. He was just waiting for me. He missed me. You're like me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our mission on this podcast is to probe topics within the Christian faith to ensure that what we believe is in alignment with scripture and that we understand why we believe what we do. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Did this topic challenge your belief? Did we give you a new perspective? Or did it solidify what you already knew to be true? leave us a comment and tell us your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you.